Hospitals and healthcare organizations operate on a foundation of patient-focused care, but the pillars that stand on that foundation are what create a stable, sustainable structure that will last for years to come. So, what are those five pillars? People, service, quality, finance, and growth. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 21 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and CEO of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So today we're kicking off our series on the five healthcare pillars that we center our operations on here at Hillsdale Hospital. Uh, each week for the next five weeks, we'll do a deep dive into one of these specific pillars. And today we're going to talk through what those pillars are and what they mean at a higher level. So, J.J., let's start with the why as usual. But this time, I want to know why we're doing this series. What makes these pillars so important that we would dedicate five whole episodes to them? Rachel, think of this. So you're building a house and you're building a structure. And think about when you drive through a community and you see a porch that is literally supported by pillars, Mm -hmm. right? And I, I got the idea, you know, nearly eight years ago that if we create pillars that hold up our foundation, our roof, our hospital. How awesome would that be? And then within a month, I had the opportunity to attend what's called a Studer conference. Mm -hmm. And guess what they talked about, Rachel? True story. They talked about pillars. I'm like, they stole my idea. Well, they didn't really. But I I thought to myself, you know what? We're on to something here. We talk about pillars. uh, And each of those pillars are so critical and so important to holding up and supporting something greater. And so when you think about it in the construction sector, you think about, okay, the pillars hold up the roof. Think about it um, in, in, the, in the center of healthcare. You know, you have all of these competing interests and you have the, the hospital, which when you say the word hospital, it means so much, right? Oh, yeah. When you say hospital, it could mean everything from a pre-hospital to post-hospital. It doesn't matter. Then you think about, okay, what is important to the hospital? Well, those are core ideas, core beliefs, core action, core people. Mm -hmm. And so now you look at the pillars as supporting the operations that make the hospital stand. Right. And so when we talk about pillars, each of them are unique. And I'm sure someone could come up with, you know, there's 10 pillars. We chose these number of pillars because we felt that these were important initiatives for us to focus on. And the good news is when we get each of these pillars up and solid, they will support the operations of the hospital. Right. And we're not the only ones. These five pillars are pretty common for healthcare organizations around the country, partly because of the influence of Studer Group, but also because they're just the right things to focus on in healthcare. But let's go back and forth um, down the list here, starting with people. So, JJ, what is the people pillar all about? Well, Rachel, it all starts with people. You cannot get around that whatsoever. Uh, The reality of it is how well you treat your employees uh, will contribute to the organization's long-term success. We firmly believe that. Uh, When we are doing what's right and we're taking care of those who are taking care of others, the care that we deliver is going to be much better. It is. Mm -hmm. And here's why. If you consider individuals who hate to come to work, that attitude, that disposition leads to a lot of things. Number one, it could lead to a medical error. It could lead to significant problems. It could lead to perception of care from the patient. And you know what drives perception of care now is reimbursement models. Because Mm -hmm. when a patient perceives that their care was poor based on the attitude or disposition of one person, 
in the entire continuum of care. All it takes is one interaction Mm -hmm. that's negative. The whole organization suffers because now we are being driven by our patient experience and by quality measures that that provide us additional reimbursement, not more, but brings us the pickup that we so desperately need in our healthcare finance. So people really, when we say people, we're talking about the pillars, we're talking about our people, we're right? Talking about our the, people. the people is our internal yeah. Yeah. people. Absolutely. So that's really the focus on our staff, our employees, our right. providers, everyone. So that that pillar and why that's so important is because when we invest in our people, they invest back into our hospital, our community, and most importantly, our patients. All right, Rachel, I've got this one for you. How about service? That's next on our list. Why don't you tell us about the service pillar? So the service pillar really focuses on, um, you know, two primary things, I think. One is patient experience. The other one is access to care. So how much service are you providing? Are you providing the right services for your patients within your community? Um, you know, access to care is really important. That's also That also kind of bleeds over into growth if you're talking about access sure. to new care, new types of service lines you don't already have. Um, but it's about what are you providing to your patients that they need? And also, what's the experience? And it's interesting that you mentioned when it comes to people that one negative interaction that a patient has with one of our team members could make or break the entire experience. And I teach patient experience to our new employees at General Orientation every month. And I tell them a story about my own experience. I had a miscarriage uh, last year, and I ended up in the ER as part of that in an ambulance ride and all kind of fun stuff. And the caregivers who took care of me were incredible from mostly start to finish. Mm -hmm. Um, So the EMTs and the ambulance were wonderful. The minute they got me in the ER, the charge nurse came up to me and she said, hey, I've been through what you're going through. We're going to take care of you. You're not alone in this. The physician who was there that night, she told me, you know what, you're in enough pain of other kinds. We're going to make sure that your physical pain is taken care of. You know, just so compassionate, so wonderful. My nurse was incredible. And then at the end, my nurse had left the room um, in between waiting for my husband to bring me some clothes to, to change into before he came to pick me up. This was, you know, the beginning of COVID. And so he wasn't there with me. He had to come pick me up later. Um, and so I'm waiting for my nurse to come back because she had told me, I'll come back and help you get dressed. And working in healthcare, I understand that when you're in the hospital and you've been on Dilaudid for four hours, probably don't want to get out of the bed no, by yourself. Not a good right? Idea. So I'm sitting there waiting and it's been 20 or 30 minutes. And so I'm thinking... Let me just pull, push my call light because maybe I'm supposed to just get dressed myself now. Maybe something changed and I don't know. So I push my call light. Someone comes to the door of the room. Didn't come in the room. Probably a COVID factor. But it felt very impersonal. And um, I'm pretty sure it was the unit clerk. And she said, can I help you? And I said, oh, yeah, I was just wondering when Nikisha is going to come back. She said she was going to help me get dressed. I'm not sure what to do. And she said, well, she's a little busy right now. We have a trauma that just came in. But we can find somebody else to help you. And I'm thinking, oh, my, Okay, that sounded awful. Yes, it was horrible. And so this caregiver, this this individual within the system, that one experience is what I remember most from the entire experience. So this person comes in. She doesn't know I'm having the worst day of my life. Right. But she was very defensive instead of being open and listening and trying to understand what I was asking her, because what I was asking her was, is it safe for me to get up or do I need to wait? What she was responding to was what she thought was a complaint. So it was a situation where exactly what you said, one negative experience can color the entire experience um, from there. And so that's why the service pillar is so important because patients need to feel comfortable and safe. Trust is a huge issue in healthcare. Patients, by and large, don't have an innate initial sense of trust when it comes to healthcare. Um, They're often fearful. 
And so we have to be able to build that trust, but it can be broken so quickly. Oh, sure. So that service pillar is really about helping make sure that our team and our staff understand how to interact with patients, how to provide that positive experience that ultimately leads to better health outcomes as well. Well, think about this. You know, before you took a patient experience, I had it. And I used to uh, give the presentation in general orientation. One thing that I'm going to share with our listeners uh, that I always impressed upon our, our new recruits is this. Meet the patient where they are. Mm-hmm. Understand this. You know, you you had the worst day of your life that day, Rachel. Probably mm-hmm. is and probably and hopefully is the last worst day of your life. Right. But it was. You had emotional. Uh, you had to process it. You had physical. You had to process that. You had a communication. You have to tell people about this. It's very difficult to process it. Mm-hmm. You know, for the, the ward clerk, for the nurse walking in, this is an everyday experience for them, right? Exactly. But it's not for you. And this is where we go wrong in healthcare. We often think, well... You know, I've seen it, done it, been there. You know it's what it's routine. Like? It's routine. And when something becomes routine, you take the emotion out of it. And when you take the emotion out of it, you lose patient experience. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell our employees, and I still do when I give my little presentation every month, is meet the patient where they are. In my own family uh, who went through this, you know, my, my nephew was killed in the Iraq War. And now more Providence of Fallujah, a roadside bomb took him out. We were notified, you know, and our lives changed that day. And mm-hmm. I remember that some in my family had to seek some services. And just remember how you meet people. Uh, you have to meet them right where they are because they're coming to you at life's most difficult road. Your your worst day would never even compare to some people's, you know, uh, uh, couldn't even compare to people's normal day, right? Right, right. And, and they would take your worst day any day over some of their good days. Exactly. And, and so we're – and this is what we have to remember for those listening uh, to our podcast. And if you're in healthcare, understand the critical nature and importance of meeting our patients where they are. Put on that cape of, a, uh, of acceptance. Understand, you know, that these individuals are not in this every day like we are. Mm-hmm. And give them the care because it's going to have a direct reflection on the experience. And I often tell individuals, you know, we can go in a, in a week-long scenario where the patient is brought into the emergency department. It's a wonderful care, you know. But along the way, here's what can happen. If we don't serve them their meal on time, if we're constantly uh, feuding out at the nurse's station, if mm-hmm. we are uh, not discharging them when we tell them we're going to, or if we don't round when we say we're going to. And all of those factors, all it takes is one negative experience with a healthcare worker that can create this shadow over your mind. And it, it will overshadow your entire great experience. So you can spend 99% of your time in a positive environment, but you're going to remember that one negative experience. So what we teach is we have to be on point. Every patient, mm-hmm. you know, all the time, always, every time we have to be on point and we have to care for our patients and we have to put on our cape of acceptance. We have to come in with this idea that we cannot have judgment. We we have to meet those patients right where they are. And, and when we get that right, Rachel, we will get service right and service will drive reimbursement. Absolutely. And service, like I said before, it's so connected to health outcomes and what's also very closely connected to health outcomes with the pillar with the pillars is quality. So that's number three on our list. But really, that's because it's kind of the central pillar it of is. the five, right? Well, sure. I mean, we we have taken a laser uh, focus on the quality pillar because it drives everything, right? If your quality is poor, no one's going to utilize your services. right? And if your quality is poor, the government's not going to reimburse you fully for mm-hmm. the rates uh, that we can charge. And so right now at stake is 2%. In the future, I guarantee you, 
uh, in the future, it's going to be a higher percentage that's at stake of of our quality that gets tied back into our reimbursement. 4% is already on the table as a future yes. plan. Yeah. And think about this. It's not unique because the government, back at the time when uh, President George Bush, uh, he had what was called No Child Left Behind. Remember that educational mm-hmm. act? Mm-hmm. And he started to tie performance metrics to, to federal and state reimbursement to schools based on performance criteria of students testing them. And so No Child Left Behind said, if your children in the school district do not have this level and this level, then we as a government are going to withhold the money. The government has done the same thing to us in healthcare. Mm-hmm. If our quality standards aren't high, they're going to hold back some of that money. Right. Now, when you're operating on zero margin, you better make sure you get quality right. Yep. Not That's only because of the patients. That's a, a losing year you're or You're going to lose. And not only it's right for the patient, high quality, right. but it's also going to drive reimbursement that keeps your hospital sustainable. So we've had a laser focused approach with quality. We have weekly quality meetings with senior leaders and leaders from uh, all over the organization. We have quality collaboratives. We focus on, we, we, we're so dedicated to quality that as a small rural hospital, we have a chief quality officer. And oftentimes you see uh, organizations small like us, they don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. But we've made a commitment that quality must be our focus. So, okay, Rachel, you know, we talk about quality. We've talked about all these pillars now. And a lot of this is driven right to the pillar of finance. Uh, so, Rachel, I think we've made a clear case for the importance of focusing on the financial health of our rural hospitals. But why don't you t- talk and walk us through finance as a pillar of our operations? Right. So finance is one that, um, you know, and we we talk about finance frequently on this show um, because it is so important and it is the symptom of the bigger problem. But it's often the symptom that becomes a nail in the coffin for rural hospitals is finance. So for us, it's important as an organization that we look at our finances consistently. We look at our margin consistently. We have a weekly margin management meeting. Um, we are looking at our finances every single month. Our, not just our senior leaders and our board, but our entire management team is looking at our finances every single month and seeing how we're doing and where we're performing And we really are keeping a close eye on those things as well as budgeting and that kind of thing. Because to your point before, the margin is so slim in rural health care. And our chief financial officer likes to say, no margin, no mission. mission. We can't do what we do if we don't have a solid financial footing. And so that has to be a priority for rural hospitals, not because we're trying to make money for the sake of it. No. If we don't make money, if we don't bring in more money than we have to spend to take care of our patients in our community, then we can't reinvest in our hospital and make sure we're here for another 106 years. Correct. So that's why finance is really so critical. Very critical. And last but not least, I think this is probably your favorite pillar, JJ. Hey, well, I'm excited. I'm <laughs> this excited. Is the, this is the one that you love the most, I think, uh, just knowing you. It is growth. So tell us about growth. Rachel, it is it's central to what environment we're operating in right now because uh, the payers do not want to pay for patients to stay a long time in the hospital. So uh, we are looking for strategies to try to de-incentivize that uh, individual patient staying here long term. And the way we do that is we look at outpatient services. Mm-hmm. And our growth isn't going to be me building another patient tower. When I drive by hospitals throughout America and I see big towers going up for patients, I'm thinking, y'all are getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. The future of healthcare isn't patient towers and keeping patients because it's the most expensive part of healthcare. Right. The growth in hospitals is going to be the outpatient services and keeping patients out of the hospital. Now, you've heard it here. 
ladies and gentlemen, from a hospital administrator yes. saying <laughs> that we have to keep patients out of the hospital. You do. Right. Because, again, the payers are going to mandate that. So when I think about growth, I think about the strategy that's most important because we're putting all of this together in a plan. And part of the growth is your strategic plan as an organization. It's your strategic goals. It's your management objectives. All of those things really feed up into this very important pillar. And this growth pillar requires a growth mindset. Now, you remember I took our team uh, through that journey not too long ago mm-hmm. in a PowerPoint presentation, and I said, I want you to expand your, your, your thought process. I want you to look at new and innovative ways that we can bring services to our patients outside the walls of the hospital. And in order to do that, we must have a growth mindset. We must be willing to change what we know as preconceived ideas of healthcare. Like we deliver it within the walls of the hospital, JG. That's the only way we know how to do it. Wrong. Fake news. Right. The reality of it is, is we're, our health care is now migrated to home care. Mm-hmm. And especially in the world of COVID-19, we are taking care of patients in their home. Right. Because they're not coming to the hospital. More telehealth. More telehealth. We see our DME for oxygen, home oxygen, sleep studies. All of this is where health care is going. It's not going in towers. Right. It is going into the growth of the hospital into the respective communities. Now, my growth strategy goes a little bit further because we're in a rural community. I want to reach every corner of my community. The way that we do that is we provide clinics and services in our respective communities, Mm -hmm. right? So if we have a transportation issue in our county, which we do, and individuals can't physically make it to their doctor's appointment in the respective city of Hillsdale, we want to provide that service in their own backyard. And we've been very successful in our clinics in Reading, Hillsdale, Litchfield, and now expanding to other areas in our community is to take these services directly to them. And we feel that that is very critical. But that requires a growth mindset and a growth strategy. And if there, there's a biblical phrase, Rachel, that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. And it is my responsibility as the president of this hospital to ensure that I set forth the vision. And that vision is based on a growth strategy to move us beyond the walls of the hospital. It's the most exciting thing right now for me. Now, I get excited about quality and people, and but this is the most important because this this hospital has been here for 106 years. Our long-term sustainability of this hospital, as well as hospitals across America, and we've heard the statistic. Mm-hmm. Becker's just put out that 900 hospitals are at risk, and we know since 2010, 130 hospitals have closed in America, and the numbers are continuing to increase, and we know that there's a significant risk. So the the sanctuary, the, the, the opportunity for hospitals is going to be to get this piece right with growth, and the growth has to happen And we have to meet the patient right where they are. And that really covers the five pillars at a very high view level. So starting next week with people, we'll take a deep dive into each of these pillars one week at a time. We've got some great guests lined up. And so you will not want to miss one single episode in this important series. Before we close, Rachel, we like to do a fun segment with our guests, which you know. And while you're not a guest, we have not been able to hear from you on this yet. So we want to know, what is your most unique rule experience? You know, <laughs> oh boy, there are so many that I could think of from, um, you know, kneeling down on a hot coal at Dad's Deer Lease when uh, we were out camping or um, being terrified of the snake we found out at our, our house we lived in when my husband and I were first married and we lived in a rural area. Um, But I think what probably is one of my favorite stories, and this actually I wasn't there for, 
but it is it is unique to uh, to uh, being in a rural area, I would say. So, um, you know, I grew up shooting guns with my dad and things like that, um, mostly just target practice. And he hunted a lot, but I don't have the patience to sit in a deer blind, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when I met my husband, he never had done any of that before. So I kind of introduced him to, um, you know, that kind of sport, I guess you could say. And, uh, you know, there was one time when we were in college, we were juniors, and uh, we had gone to my parents' house for the weekend um, in, in a suburb of Dallas. However, um, my our, our, our family pastor at the time, he had a friend who had some land where he would let us go out and do target practice and shoot and things like that. So uh, my husband goes out with my dad to go do that that day, and they take the family dog with them. And uh, while they're there, my husband decides while they're in the middle of nowhere in this huge piece of land that that's the right time to ask my dad if he can marry me. Oh, my goodness. With guns so, and all this stuff? Yeah, exactly. Just oh the two goodness. of them out there with oh, the no. family dog. Um, so they're out there and they have that conversation and clearly it went well. Um, oh, wow. But at some point, Zoe, the dog, got scared and ran off. So they're like, oh, well, we'll go find her. She'll just like, you know, she's probably under a tree somewhere. Well, so after they're done shooting and they're getting ready to go home. They drove around for over an hour trying to find, find her, the dog. and they almost did. They were about to give up when she came running to uh. the truck, and they finally found her. But yeah, wow. so so my husband decided to ask for my hand in marriage while wow. he was shooting in Not the middle a, of nowhere with my dad, and they almost lost the family dog. So he was brave, or he was really confident. And I'm going to think that maybe he was just confident. I guess and, so. Uh, he must obviously, have been. <laughs> uh, for, from that union, it's been a. A very important uh, opportunity for you to uh, spend your time with your husband and build a beautiful family. And as we, you know, reflect upon that, Rachel, you know, you've shared some stories with us in the past, but you know, you're welcoming a a new child into this world, and that's just an amazing experience. So, uh, we're. I, I thought you honestly were going to tell me that once they gave you your coffee, they forgot to put that sleeve on it. I thought that was going to be maybe <laughs> one of your most unique rural no. experiences. But it sounds like that you maybe have a little bit of country in you at times. So, oh, I do. I, I mean. I mean, I'd sound you say, a little country you sometimes. Can you say y'all? Y'all. Oh, yes. Y'all. You heard oh, it here, ladies and gentlemen, from our podcast. Rachel Lott says y'all. Listen, that is a grammatically correct contraction. I will fight anybody on that. Okay, so a group of y'alls is all y'all? Um, well, technically, you don't need to say all y'all because it's already in there. But oh. if you wanted to, I guess you could. You could? You could. It's just you another it. another adjective. You heard it here first. All y'all. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll talk about the people pillar with someone whose energy is absolutely contagious. Uh, he has spent much of his career supporting and growing healthcare organizations and teams to focus on people. So be sure to tune in. And as a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct to voicemail line at 269 447 1265, or email us at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story. You just might be featured on a future episode of Rural Health Rising. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen as well. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more interviews like this and more information or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit RuralHealthRising.com.